0: Uh, My name's Mike, I'm the campus minister here at St Jude's in Parkville. Uh, It's really good to be together with you this morning, Uh, we're so glad. Uh, You've joined us for our Good Friday service. Let's take a moment in prayer as we uh, reflect on this account we've heard of Jesus' death. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, the words of Mark in his gospel that uh, tell us of this darkest of days, uh, when the sky turned black and your son was crucified. Would you give us open hearts, open minds, that we might hear what you're saying to us and take to heart the message of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is the darkest day on the Christian calendar. We remember the horrific suffering and death that our Lord Jesus endured on the cross. Which, when you think about it, is a strange thing to remember in such detail. Why do we immerse ourselves in this uh, such dark, uh, awful, downright shameful moment? We don't normally dwell on our hero's darkest moments. Uh, Shane Warne, a national Australian hero, when he died a little over a year ago, he was celebrated as a once-in-a-generation cricketer, a, a larrikin, a larger-than-life personality. No one wanted to dwell on the doping ban, the failed marriage, the affairs. Certainly not on the details of the the heart attack that led to his death in Thailand. We focus on our heroes' triumphs, not on their shame, not on their weaknesses. And yet today we remember Christ's darkest day. His shame, his weakness that was brutally exposed on a Roman cross. Our gospel writer Mark, as he tells the story of Jesus, slows down the narrative as you heard. He wants us to focus on the cross. The rest of his gospel moves fast from one incident to another, but now it's like we're in slow motion. He draws out every little detail as Jesus is betrayed, arrested, convicted, crucified. We get all the details. Mark wants to draw out this story. He can't do it justice in a couple of verses. He wants us to see the details, to experience the sounds and the smells and to feel the shame and the weakness of Jesus' final hours. Because here's the point, only if we embrace Christ on the cross, in all his shame and weakness, will we grasp uh, his true greatness. Only if we embrace Christ on the cross will we uh, be able to grasp his true greatness and how he enables us to deal with our own shame and weakness. That's what we're looking at this morning. And as uh, we do so, we are going to be thinking about uh, our own shame, our weaknesses, the parts of ourselves that we normally want to hide away. And so as Ali mentioned, if you do need some space or a bit of uh, time for yourself, uh, please do make use of the chapel across, uh, just across the quad. Uh, set up for some quiet reflection and prayer. Uh, and you can speak to myself or Ali or a friend you trust after the service as well. So let's start with thinking about Jesus' experience of shame. Because the cross is uh, the ultimate demonstration. It's the ultimate demonstration of of weakness and shame. They pin you up, helpless to, to move or to do anything. Each breath is... Torture until you literally have no more strength left to breathe. Your, your weakness is what kills you. The cross says, we are powerful and you are pathetic and weak. As the religious leaders mock Jesus, he saved others but he cannot save himself. The cross declares your weakness in the most public way possible. You're you're lifted high for all to see, uh, usually in a public place along the road, and so the crowds who are wandering past heap their insults on the hapless victims. Even the leaders demean Jesus. And it has to be public, because the aim of crucifixion is not a humane death like execution today. The aim of crucifixion is humiliation, degradation. It's deliberately designed to shame. And that's exactly what happens to Jesus. It starts with the mob arresting him in the garden. He won't fight back. He's weak. Then the chief priests and the teachers spit on him and beat him and blindfold him. The soldiers mock him as a pretend... King uh, in, in purple, the colour of royalty, and the crown of thorns. Finally, the passers-by hurl their insults like football supporters abusing the umpires. And the religious leaders are back for another go as well. Jesus is ruthlessly shamed and rejected. He's mocked for his weakness. He refuses to help himself. He won't even answer the charges put to him. And no one is coming to help him. The people think he's calling Elijah, but Elijah isn't coming. Most of his disciples are long gone. They they scampered when he was arrested. They could see what was coming. His 12 closest followers aren't coming to save him. They've scattered. Judas has betrayed him. Even Peter has denied him three times. And then in his final moments even God has abandoned him Eloi Eloi lemma sabachthan Jesus dies alone helpless his shame is complete and in his death we see everything we fear Weakness, shame, condemnation, isolation and rejection as a result. Isn't that why we fear shame and weakness so much? We, we fear that if our weakness is seen and our uh, shame becomes exposed, that we'll be uh, shamed, we'll be isolated and abandoned by others. Jesus' disciples can't handle the shame. They deserted him and and fled when he was arrested. As if to complete the scene, there's this young man who loses his clothes in the act of fleeing. Even running away naked is better than being associated with Jesus. When we sense shame, our instinct is to run and hide. Even Peter, who vows never to abandon Jesus... Can't handle the shame. And it's not an emperor or a governor, it's not even a soldier who causes him to feel ashamed. It's a, a servant girl. Pretty much the lowest rung of society. Even in front of her, he is too ashamed, maybe too fearful, to even admit that he knows Jesus. When we sense shame, we run and we hide. We don't want to be tainted with the shame of others. And so we run from them and we hide the truth about ourselves. We don't want to be shamed for who we are or what we've done. Because we all have shameful deeds and realities in our story. Perhaps the things we've done that we know are shameful... Perhaps things done to us that, that we fear if others knew, they, then that would bring shame and rejection on us. In fact, I dare say we've all got both of these things, actually. Shameful deeds we've done for thoughts or desires and, and shameful deeds done to us. Maybe attributes we can't help that all contribute to our burden of shame. And over time, they tend to stick to us. They almost become part of us. And the more we hide them away in darkness, the more they grow and take over and make themselves at home in us. But sadly, even when we hide them, they end up isolating us. In order to hide them, we cut off part of ourselves ourselves from others and from our community. We never share that part of ourselves and so we never feel truly known. And so we're doomed to isolation if we're exposed and and shamed and found out. And we're doomed to isolation and not being truly known if we keep hiding and don't share. There, There must be a better way. One other opposite way we try to deal with our shame is, is by denying it altogether. Right? We, we embrace every aspect of ourselves. We deny that there's any reality to shame. We present ourselves at warts and all as though we have nothing at all to be ashamed of. We put it all out there. We defiantly tell our story. We put our very heart and soul out there. We make no apology for who we are or what we've done. And in doing so, we leave no room for anyone else. No room for anyone we might have hurt. For anyone who might take exception or want to question or challenge us. Because to challenge my shamelessness is to attack me. And so while this sounds empowering, it's also divisive and therefore destructive to true community. We give others no choice but to embrace everything about us. There's no room for grey, for nuance, for needing to learn and grow. There's no room for repentance. Do we really want to embrace every part of who we are? Everything we've ever done? What if I know I've done wrong? What if I know there are things about me that are not quite right? And what if I simply can't move myself to embrace certain experiences I've had? What if I've been bullied or or abused? How do I deal with that shame? So many of us have shame and regret that we can't face embracing. We can't pretend nothing is wrong. But nor do we want to hide it forever. And maybe that's where you are now. You're acutely aware of your own weakness. You're you're feeling isolated, perhaps, and fearful of what others would say if they knew the truth about you. And if that's where you're at, take a few moments to look at Jesus because he knows what it is to be shamed and exposed. If you don't know how to answer those who challenge you, he too was speechless before those who challenged him. If you are mocked or bullied, he too was insulted, treated sarcastically, beaten and spat on. If you feel cut off from your friends, he knows what's that, what that's like. If it feels like even God has abandoned you, well, he experienced that too. Jesus gets our shame and our weakness and our isolation. In fact, he embraced it. He didn't shy away from it or avoid it. He accepted it. The real irony is, though, that he had done nothing to deserve that shame. Jesus did nothing shameful, nothing that deserves stigma. The charges against him were false. He never said he would destroy the temple. Yet he embraced the powerlessness of not speaking back. They mocked him as a fake and powerless king and and the true king refuses to retaliate. They said, come down and save yourself. Instead, he stayed there, endured their mocking and saved them. Jesus didn't suffer for his own shame. He endured our shame he embraced our shame he didn't suffer for his own weakness he embraced our weakness he took on our shame and so he suffered our isolation the abandonment that would rightly be ours he suffered in our place and because he suffered our shame he can deal with our shame Because he died in weakness, he can deal with our weakness. Did you notice how he treats the woman who comes to him in shame? The first reading we heard from Rachel. She approaches him during a meal a couple of days before his death. And she brings her costly perfume. It's worth more than a year's wages. So I don't know, $70,000, $80,000, maybe more. Imagine just pouring out $80,000. This is extravagant. She embraces Jesus with everything she's got. And then she's humiliated for it. They rebuke her harshly with their, what we might call today, performative righteousness. Why didn't you give that $80,000 to the poor? Consider the contrast with Peter for a moment, who's also humiliated. Uh, When he's questioned about his association with Jesus, he denies it, he tries to hide, He, he abandons Jesus. When this woman is challenged and rebuked for her... Obvious and extravagant devotion to Jesus. We don't see her run. We don't see her hide. But we see Jesus step in. He deflects the shame and he honors her. He dignifies her extravagant love where those around are belittling her. He sees and accepts her. He says she's preparing him for burial. He alludes to his death because in his death, Jesus does for all of us what he did for that woman. It's a little picture for us of Jesus' death. In his death, Jesus puts himself in our place. He becomes the lightning rod, attracting all the, the shame, the mockery that our deeds might warrant. He suffers the mockery of people, the desolation of God. He shows us how awful sin is. And he experiences the judgment of God for us. And and by doing that, by deflecting our shame onto himself, he dignifies us. He, He welcomes and embraces us. And if we come to Him, devote ourselves to Him like this woman wholeheartedly, then He gives us a new way to deal with our shame. Because of Christ, because of His shameful death, we don't need to hide our shame. We don't need to deny it and embrace every part of ourselves. We don't need to hide it. Instead, We embrace him. We embrace the one who bore our shame for us. And that's my invitation to you today. Don't hide your shame. Don't embrace it or deny it, but embrace Jesus. That means being honest about our shame and our weakness because Jesus has already experienced it for you. And if you come to him humbly, wholeheartedly, willing to lay it all at his feet, he accepts you. That's his invitation. And friends, if Jesus has changed your life, if you've found freedom from shame in Christ, then I wonder when you show that to others. Will you show them the same welcome that Jesus showed to you? I'm so encouraged when I see people in our church community dealing honestly and openly with their weaknesses and their shame. I see people opening up and sharing about themselves. And I see others listening, caring, Loving, extending the same honour to others that Jesus showed to them. Doesn't mean that we condone everything about each other. But we point each other to the cross, not only on this day, but every day. We keep coming back to this most shameful, most weak and desolate moment. Because this is where our shameful secrets are truly brought into the light and are put to death once and for all. We keep coming back to the cross because here we see Christ, beautiful in his suffering, powerful in his weakness, shamed and yet glorious. This is where we see Christ.